Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is actor Sadiq Saunderson, who plays Dennis Coles, aka Ghostface Killer, on the Hulu series Wu Tang and American Saga. The show, now in its second season, is a fictionalized version of the Wu's formation. This interview was recorded at the end of August over the internet, so please forgive any audio weirdness. Well, first of all, I mean, uh, so this is the first time uh, I'm actually getting to talk with you. I feel like I've known you, uh, know you well after seeing uh, season one of Wu-Tang American Saga. And it hadn't really dawned on me that when season one of the show came out, that was uh, fall of 2019. So we were before the pandemic. What was it like coming back and filming basically during the pandemic? It was it was it was exciting. It was refreshing, but it, it also had this level of of unsureness about it all and and just just for the simple fact that we had gone through you know 2020 and the pandemic and you know people dying and having to get tested and what did it look like to come back into a space where you know we could safely create you know artwork you know what i'm saying and and um i think that but i think from an from an acting perspective and an artist perspective i was i was just really excited to be back on set i was excited to continue telling the story that you know everybody was hungry for and and we were hungry for to see you know the continuation and the the evolution of you know dennis into ghostface and 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 just the these young men from Staten island into the group that everybody knows and loves so i i was really excited about that um but also yeah there was there was that bit of unsureness and you know taking covid tests three times a week and making sure everybody's socially distanced and wearing masks and stuff like that um but i think as the the months kind of continued everybody it just kind of became the norm and there were certain protocols that everybody got used to and and we became more relaxed in it while also staying safe so that that was pretty dope well and not only the pandemic um i mean my goodness our our history books are filled with this uh, huge thing social changes right. uh government changes right. still going on some of them um a lot of them still going on excuse me and i can't help but connect that to um, Wu-Tang American Saga, because even though it's telling a story of, um, you know, a group a lot of us are fans of or, or feel like we know the members of, uh, there's so much about that world and growing up that is a universal. And I feel like it's even maybe um, more connective now than maybe it would have been when it came out in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, just the the kind of nature of of you know the pandemic and everybody taking a beat and taking a pause and looking inward and, and figuring out what the next steps are i think that kind of reflects what's going on in season two you know so on top of you know the fans just being excited about the show coming back and us being excited to share it with the fans again i think that there's a, a parallel that exists between you know what everybody was kind of going through and and you know some the pandemic affected some people in in some ways and some in others you know but for me it definitely was a time to kind of pause see and remember what was important to me and now you know my actions post pandemic are kind of following following suit so i think that that definitely is a parallel what, what's going on for season two for sure i say if you don't mind sharing what what are those or could you uh, share what maybe one of those important things that you came to like this is important in my life um yeah so i think one of the things that 
um, I, I had a chance to reflect on during the pandemic was definitely community um, and my community, the black community in, in America specifically. And, and, you know, I mean, with all the, the Black Lives Matter movements and that were happening in the protests and um, that were happening during the pandemic, it, it gave me some time to really reflect on the kind of work that I want to be putting out, the kind of stories that I want to be telling and what's important to me. And one of the main things that's important to me is is my community and, you know, how we're reflected and how diverse we are and that we're not a monolith and that they're different types of Black people and that we're all valid and we all deserve to live and, and how can that be reflected in the types of stories that I tell. So, I mean, Wu-Tang is a great first, you know, story, <laughs> you know, just the story of my character in particular, Dennis, you know, Cole's plant that turns into Ghostface had, you know, so many things, so many chips stacked against him, but still kind of prevailed through it all and became this iconic person in 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 the world um i think is is really beautiful and and i think that you know that is just like it's really a blessing to be able to, to play somebody like this and um especially after yeah like having the pandemic and you know there was a lot of i feel like there was a lot of like performative stuff that was going on and now that we're like back into our everyday lives you know some the, the movement has you know the priority of the movement has kind of fallen down for some people or they've gotten back to their regular lives but for me this is just something that I live in and, and I exist in every day pandemic or you know pre-pandemic post-pandemic it doesn't matter you know it's just kind of like you know what my experience as a black man living in America so yeah that that's that's definitely something that I had time to reflect on was just like my community and and how we can work together to to continue to grow and and, and thrive you know one of the things I loved about the show, many things I loved about it, but one of the things was just the time. Um, and I say time, not in like seconds, but just the moments that were in each episode for each character. And obviously a lot of it, uh, you know, uh, revolves around like, like Bobby, but a lot of it is just building these characters from kids into men, into Wu-Tang, which I think is, is part of the theme. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering when you went into this project, did you know that it was going to be, like multiple seasons of this story being spread out. Um, how did you approach that? I tried my best to get sources of information from the root, you know, so talking to Ghost or talking to RZA or talking to, you know, watching old the oldest interviews that I can find, like really at the beginning mm -hmm. of their careers and and just kind of listening. And, and, you know, we filmed the first season of Staten Island. So, you know, and I'm from Brooklyn, so I have an idea you know, of stories from my family and, and of what that time period was like and, and what, what it felt like to kind of be in in that particular location at that particular time and, and all that came with it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I really just mm -hmm. rested on that. I really honored, you know, Dennis being Dennis first season and not trying to rush into Ghostface, not trying to be this man or this person that, that everybody already has these kind of preconceived notions about who he is. And I, you know, relied on the script, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I, I trained at Carnegie Mellon and, and, you know, in acting and part of my training was learning the importance of the script and um, finding clues and, and, and really honoring that and, and how that can help facilitate how you tell a story. As you were getting closer to Dennis being what we know as Ghostface, is that uh, prioritizing the script, is that your key to not being intimidated by like 
who he is or, or what he sounds like or what he looks like and it, it not being an invitation, but more, this is a character that's different from the person that I could t- talk to in an email. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's a level of responsibility that we have and we take it very seriously for the fans because we know there's some, you know, the diehard Wu-Tang fans and that, you know, they really want to see certain things and certain aspects reflected. But, you know, that's a lot of pressure on me as an actor, you know what I'm saying? And, and I don't, I want to remove that pressure so I can really do my, the, my best work and, and tell the story, you know, to the best of my abilities, which really just includes like, what is this scene? You know, what is this moment that we are depicting? And, and, and yes, I do all the background, you know, uh, you know, background work of, of watching interviews and listening to the music and trying to get the cadence to match of his voice, but really trying to capture that essence and, and finding the humanity behind him as a man and behind, you know, everybody doing that for the, the members that they play. But for me, yeah, like, who is this person first? Because, you know, in, in this world and I feel like in society, there's like a bunch of different versions of, of, of ourselves. It's who we really are. And then it's who people believe us to be. And especially when you enter into fame and celebrity and all of that stuff, you know, that there's there's all the everybody. Everybody feels like they know who this person is. So it was my job to, you know, <laughs> to know who he was for me and, and what he means to me and then be able to portray him, you know, most accurately as I can. So. And you, and you mentioned you, you did talk with like um, like Ghostface and and Riza. I'm curious. Do you remember anything uh, they said? Whether it it was helpful or not about playing uh, Ghostface Killer. <laughs> so actually, in the first season, one of the first times I met Ghost, uh, which was, I think we we had already started filming by then. We were on like about episode three. Uh, but one of the first things he said was like, "Hey yo, hey yo, make sh- make sure they don't make me look f- corny." Make sure they don't make me look corny. Like that was like one of the first things he said to me, and I was like, "Word," you know what I'm saying? Like I definitely like I was like, "Word," like I, you know that that kind of said a lot in just that being the first thing that he said, you know, and and that passion and that drive and that fire and and you know I kind of relied on that to kind of be my motivating force, and it shows in the script, you know, like in 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 because you know some of these events are you know fictionalized and are for television, so it's like it's important to look at the script and to know kind of the structure and to really try to understand the structure and of who he is and, you know, what drives him. And especially at that, that time and, and, and kind of like fill in the blanks from there. Now that you've wrapped season two and filming it, when you look back, um, how did you approach season two maybe differently now that after having a full season under your belt, did that make it easier? Did that make it, there was just different challenges because you're, you're kind of advancing in, in life a little bit in his life, at least. Um, I think it definitely, I mean, it was still very, you know, it had its challenges because we're, we're entering into new territory, you know, we focusing on the music and, and there's just different uh, skills that I had to tap into for this season. Um, but I think the fact that it is a second season, I think that relying on the fact that, you know, the audiences already believe me, to be who I say that I am, you know, once you look on the screen, you, you, it's Dennis, you know, it's ghosts, you know, so it's not, it's not as much of laying a foundation as it is picking up the baton and, and, and continuing on the journey. Before you were even cast, before this project was even announced, like where on like your music radar was Wu-Tang because, you know, uh, they were kind of relevant when I was in college and that was a little while ago. Right, right. Um, no, I, I mean, I definitely hadn't heard of Wu-Tang and heard their music, you know, 
again, I'm from Brooklyn and, and, and my mom is a, a product of hip hop. So growing up, that was what I, you know, and I know a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. you know, get the, the Al Greens and the Luther Vandross from their parents, but I was getting, you know, Biggie and Tribe and Lauren Hill and Wu-Tang and, you know, that's what I heard, you know, <laughs> on the on the days that it was time to clean the crib. It was <laughs> it was that that was playing, you know what I'm saying? So I definitely was familiar mm-hmm. with the group and, you know, definitely familiar with the sound of, of, of just hip hop in that time. But of course, you know, Wu-Tang has such a particular sound that, um, you know, that's something that you can't ever really forget. So I, it was definitely on my radar and, 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 you know, I had a lot of respect for what they had done for for the culture. Yeah, and I think for a lot of fans, and I'll include myself in this, like, I won't say religious, but th- they're one of those groups that you hold up there, and it is a bit, uh, not only iconic, but there's like a legend status around them. So going into season two, I, I don't, I know there's not much we can go into in detail, but is there um, something in particular or something you can share that you're looking forward to to fans or, or people who've seen season one getting to see? There's There's a lot of really imaginative takes on some things in this season you know like first season we kind of laid the groundwork and I feel like that's what separates our show and and makes our show unique is the fact that we you know like first season we had some you know animation and we had a video game and we had you know finding different ways to tell this story that is so unique um but is a very recognizable story of, of, of black men in America you know what I'm saying um, but ours is just, you know, so unique uh, that I, I'm really excited for the fans to really just see the evolution and the growth of of each of the, the in, you know, individual men, but also us as a group and how, you know, we came together and how, you know, there's more power in numbers and, and, and really just kind of like seeing us get together as the Wu-Tang Clan. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, moving on just a little bit here. So the name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? Damn, that's a hard question. It's a, it's a couple of things. It's a couple of things. But um, yeah, one of the first things that pops into my mind is uh, Basquiat. Um, I mean, I've been obsessed. Mm. Like, he's my favorite artist. And so I've kind of been obsessed for a while. But currently, um, you know, specifically, I, I've just been reading a lot of of his interviews i just got this book called the john jean michelle basquiat reader um which just has like interviews and you know writings and you know responses to the interviews and stuff like that and i also just watched the um basquiat movie the 90s movie with jeffrey wright and david bowie and you know just kind of immersing myself in like who he was as an artist because i think he was so you know interesting and and being a you know young black man from black and puerto rican and and i'm black and puerto rican too so there's like a lot of similarities between us Mm. he grew up not too far from where i was born and raised and um just kind of what he meant and how you know, like the white gaze in, in the art world and, and all of these kind of critics 
uh, criticizing his work and just kind of how he responded, I, I thought was really interesting. Because if you're if you're deeply connected to your own perspective and your own point of view, then, you know, your artwork is going to be amazing. I feel like that's true with Basquiat. I feel like that's true with Ghostface Killer. I feel like that's true with me. Definitely something that I'm obsessed with. And then, um, yeah, I think I think something else that I'm obsessed with right now is like Black fashion and Black designers, um, you know, like, Pierre Moss, you know, just had a couture show and was the first, like, Black designer in Paris Couture Week and did this entire show that was about, like, a tribute to kind of the inventions of Black people, you know, like, Black artists that are, like, bridging the gap between, um, you know, these quote-unquote famous celebrities and these everyday people because that's the community, you know, that's the community I was talking about before that I, I had time to reflect on during the pandemic, um, and, and, and so just so it doesn't feel so like exclusive and like elitist and that, you know, you can just, art becomes more like tangible at that point when, when you're like, just keeping it real and keeping it close to the heart and close to home. When you talk about like uh, Basquat and, and uh, Pyre Moss, I'm curious, um, you, your attraction seems not only to be to the art they create, but also who they were as people. And I'm wondering how has that changed you as an artist? I don't know if it necessarily changed me because I feel like that, like the kind of philosophy of, of, of their, their philosophies and how they relate to their art is very similar to mine, to my art. So I think if anything, it just kind of helped me like remember that and hone into it, which is just like, it starts from the core, you know, it starts from your particular mm -hmm. core, it starts from your particular community, you know, it starts from your experiences and your life and the more true you can be to that the the better your art will become um i think that you know like something again like is that's so beautiful about you know pyre moss doing this couture show about the inventions of black people is that you know in in society often black people are not given the credit that we deserve to to the arts being able to celebrate black artists and the black art um for everybody, and I'm not just talking about within the Black community, I'm talking about everybody like learning how to actually celebrate the artists or what Black people have to offer to this um, country, I think is like super important. I feel like Black pain and Black trauma is constantly being like projected through the media. And so I think mm -hmm. it's equally as imp as important to celebrate, you know, the 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 positive images of black people, you know, and not just seeing us getting killed by the police or, you know, not getting what we deserve and stuff like that. I think it's something, something like a couture show where you, each piece is, is, is designed based on an invention by a black person that is useful, whether it's the refrigerator or whether it's, you know, the traffic light or something like that. You know, I think that that has so much power given the society that we live in. And given that, yeah, like we have a pandemic and people are dying and people are going to protest and, you know, again, black pain and black trauma is, is constantly kind of being thrust into the media. And, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit tired of seeing that. And so that's why I do my best. And I'm, I'm drawn to, you know, black success stories and black innovation. I, I couldn't agree with you more and I, I want to be as supportive as possible. And by the way, I'm looking at photos of the everyday objects um, from Moss's ex uh, couture uh, uh, exhibit or launch, whatever it was. And um, they are amazing. Like the peanut butter one. I mean, yeah. I think that's a little, you know, but the phone one is great. Which do you, do you recall like one or two of the objects that uh, you were really taken 
back with how he displayed it or, or showed it off as a dress? Um, yeah, I think the, the yeah, I mean, the peanut butter one would definitely have to be one of my favorites just because it's so like, I mean, avant-garde, you know, and this is not the mm-hmm. first time that avant-garde pieces are have been done like this. But again, the reason why it's so monumental is because this is the first time a black designer presented at Paris, you know, couture fashion week and, and had a Paris couture fashion show. And so to see something like that, and, you know, I know that I, th- I believe he's from Flatbush and. And he's very proud of being from Flatbush, um, kind of just utilizing his resources and 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 really like really being attached, like his art being so attached to his identity, I think is what makes it so dope, you know. And I, I think as far as yeah, it was the peanut butter one, and I think like the fire extinguisher one was really fire too. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Oh yeah. No, I was just going to say the whole show in itself, I thought was just really, really dope and unlike anything that I've ever seen. So definitely looking forward to seeing what he has next and how I could potentially collaborate with him in the future, to be honest, because I really respect, you know, his artistry and any artist that's like that, you know, and not just black artists too, like any artist of color Mm -hmm. or, you know, that's really just tapping into their identity and reflecting who they are and and, and what they feel like has not been reflected about their community, I think is super important while also having just like a very specific point of view and a nuance that makes them, them, you know, cause I don't think, I don't think every black person has to be the spokesperson for black people in America. I think that's often like a, 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 a trap that we get forced into is like, okay, now you have, you know, some eyes on you. Now you have a bit of shine. So now you have to speak for the general black population and that's just not fair, you know? So I think having that, you know, community attached to also like, having a specific point of view is, is, is the key. I, I know you, we talk a lot about acting and I want to talk a little bit more about your training. Um, uh, cause I just love the way you describe, um, the way you approach roles and performances, but is there a side of you that like, Oh, I, I'd like to write, or I would like to make music or art or, or, or fat or whatever that is. Is that, is there part of that like hunger inside of you or maybe something you haven't discovered yet? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at CMU, and even beyond CMU, I'm talking, you know, from high school and I went to a performing arts high school and a performing arts middle school. And even then I was, you know, directing shows with my friends and choreographing dance pieces. And, you know, it's just a matter of finding out when is the right time to tap into those, you know, different lanes. Um, but they definitely exist. And there was a time when I got I came to like a fork in the road because I had gotten into my middle school for saxophone and also for drama and I had to like pick <laughs> but like oh, there's a part man. of me now that's like you know like you got to pick back up the saxophone because I feel like that's also just like a part of my spirit you know what I'm saying like jazz music um so yeah I mean I want to continue to develop and, and kind of in my free time you know producing works that reflect things that are important to me because you know I feel like there's there's a lot of stuff on tv um and in the movies and you know, some of it really, really means something and has, you know, depth and complexity. And some of it is just, you know, for people to, to buy popcorn and, <laughs> and, 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 and watch, you know, that's just my personal opinion. I, but I'm, I'm really curious and interested in, in creating art that matters and being a part of stories that like really have a, a point of view and it's really trying to say something. We do a thing called pick one and I give you a couple 
different choices and you pick one. It doesn't mean the thing that you pick is better than the other thing. So let's play pick one. Okay. Pick one. Pittsburgh or Brooklyn? Brooklyn, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, Pittsburgh's where you went to school, but you you grew up in Brooklyn. Pittsburgh, yeah, no, definitely, and and that's not to you know that's not to to, to that I love Pittsburgh, you know, but I'm 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 mm-hmm. I don't think it's possible for me to love a place as deeply as my love runs for Brooklyn as a Brooklyn Brooklyn boy. So, um, but you know that being said, like Pittsburgh was really is a really dope city. You know, it's very. Um, the culture there that exists there is really dope. Even, you know, within the arts, I mean, August Wilson is from there and he's my, like one of my favorite playwrights and, you know, being able to be over there and go visit his house and, and being just like all the different, you know, there's a lot of art that exists there as well as technology. So shout out to Pittsburgh, but mm-hmm. it's going to, it's always going to be Brooklyn for me. <laughs> and, and shout out to August Wilson, like one of the most one of the most amazing contemporary playwrights we've had. Yes, um, like his his cycle is uh, what is the cycles? Um, uh, I'm spacing on this one. The, his cycle plays where it's like his different. Um, is it different cities? No, it's different. So it's different eras of uh, stories. Different that eras. Exist. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, stories that exist in Pittsburgh. So every every. I think it starts in the 1900s and it goes all the way up to the 2000s. So it's 10 plays. But like one's like in the 50s and like I think there was like like Fences or something like that. And then like there's yeah. one in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the cycle plays, yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, pick one, theater, film, or TV? I'm going to go with theater with this one. Um, even though right now I am, like you said, you know, on a TV show and I- I've done, um, you know, I did a film, an indie film that went to Sundance. It was actually uh, Romeo and Juliet, um, which I played like Mercutio. So that was a really, that was my first like film experience. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, that looked crazy. I mean, like in a, a fascinating me is a better word. Yeah. That project was actually like, it's like Romeo and Juliet for the Gen Zers. Um, it's definitely for, I feel like a particular <laughs> audience, but it can be enjoyable by anyone because it is really imaginative, you know, it's screen life. Um, is the is the genre of film. So a lot of it was told through FaceTimes or Instagram stories and stuff like that. And and our director really like allowed us to like run with it and 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 be, you know, as artistic as we wanted to be in the depiction of our characters and ourselves. So for that role I like dyed my hair orange and was really all my like <laughs> Dennis Rodman, Len, you know, Lenny Kravitz, Prince kind of vibe. Like, you know, like it was just mm. I really got to play. Um that's all to say that yeah, theaters I mean theater was my first love and I also think that there's just that's something that, you know, as much as I love film and T V, theater just calls for a different type of of chops you know like you can't cut mm-hmm. you can't cut you can't go back you can't watch you know watch the playback and then you know edit you have to edit in the moment and also each each individual show is its own experience that you share between yourself and the audience and I think that that's like I, I mean that like what can't you love about that that every time you go you're going to get something different and um, it's really exciting so we we mentioned August Wilson earlier, but are there um, certain roles or um, plays you you would be you're absolutely dying to do or excited to do one day? So it's funny because we were talking about August Wilson, and my first, my introduction to August Wilson was through a play called Gem of the Ocean, um, which I I forgot which era that one was set in, but it was I want to say like the 30s or 
the yeah it was like the 20s or the 30s um um but yeah i played this man called solly two kings um he was about he was in his 60s and he had a walking stick and he was really honorable and loyal and had a strong point of view he was a bad mother effort excuse my language but i think like you're stuff good, like good. that like it's hard for me to like point out specific like roles within the theater um that i want to do right now but i know that there's a lot of like roles that i want to do when i'm older you know um but that being said like right now i i just am interested in stories about like the jazz age i'm interested in stories i love um a good heist film you know like i love all the oceans movies so i'm down <laughs> to do something like that and you know, being a heist. And um, I think that less it's less about having a particular role that I want to play and more about worlds that I want to exist in. Well, it's interesting that all the, the work, whether it's the Wu-Tang American Saga, um, the um, the adaptation you did of Romeo and Juliet, and it's the series that I was tripping on earlier. It's actually called the Pittsburgh Cycle of mm-hmm. plays. And Gem of the Ocean was the one set in... 1904 but um all that being said uh, it's just curious because all these things are largely ensemble and i'm wondering if that is also part of the appeal of theater um you do have like one-man shows or two-handers but uh it's the ensembles that sense of family and cast is is that something that is appealing to you or is it like you know you want that spotlight and solo moment on stage too no i mean i think i'm absolutely an ensemble uh member you know, whatever project that I am involved in, you know, that's, that's how I was introduced to the arts was through the art of ensemble. And, um, you know, real talk, I didn't, I didn't, you know, my first play I ever did was in kindergarten, which I was Arthur in the Arthur play that we adapted from the, from the, uh, like, like King Arthur, like that, or like author, like the cartoon. No, no, no. Like, like Arthur, the aardvark, you know, Yes. Oh my God. It's so much better than the King Arthur. <laughs> um, that, that was my first role. And, um, and then, you know, past that, it took me a really long time to, to get another lead role. You know, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, doing shows where I would get like one line or I would get like that really, you know, dope scene, but like I spent a lot of time off stage. So I, from the beginning kind of cultivated this understanding of ensemble of, of playing the role that I am meant to play of, of really knowing how I fit into the story as a whole and not like, you know, making it about me, me, me. Cause at the end of the day, it, you know, it, it takes everybody to make something come to life. You know, that type of stuff mm-hmm. is so important. And I feel like not enough people in this industry have a grasp on that. Not enough people have in this industry have a grasp and an understanding of, you know, yeah, we, we, we are the ones in front of the camera, but there's so many people that help us make us look good, you know? that are like, you know, lighting us a particular way or really, you know, designing the costumes to help enhance our performance. That some of the ideas that we may feel like come from us may subconsciously be coming from, you know, a set designer or the fact that there are props there that somebody, you know, actually had to spend time designing for us to go in there and play and do the best work that we can do, you know? So that's something that I always remember. But um, yeah, I, I hope that other projects and the more projects that I work on, I'll be surrounded with people that kind of have that same kind of thought process. Because when you think about it as an ensemble and you kind of remove 
ego and yourself out of the middle of it, 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 it just allows for so much more play to happen and so many more exciting things to happen. Uh, Sadiq, I'm smiling because like, I feel such a kinship with you. Maybe it's the, it's the ensemble stuff. Um, and I'll just say, years ago, a long time ago, I got the privilege to work at Steppenwolf. And I oh, remember someone saying, um, you're going to, uh, ensemble is the most famous character in theater. And you're like, it is. It really mm-hmm. is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just am very excited to kind of see where my career continues to take me. I know that this is just the beginning and, and I'm excited to see all the different types of roles and worlds and, you know, energies that I can kind of tap into. I want to thank Sadiq for chatting with me and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Butang and American Saga on Hulu with new episodes dropping each Wednesday. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app and If you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.